The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on Twitter to join these conversations live and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets. And now, on to our Lead Lag Live discussion hosted by Michael Guyot. My name is Michael Guyot, publisher of the Lead Lag Report. Joining me there is Terrence Brogan, who's got a lot of interesting family history when it comes to markets. Terrence, introduce yourself to the audience. Who are you? What's your background? How'd you get involved, interested in markets, and what are you doing currently? Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. This is a great pleasure. And uh, as you say, I'm part of a family business, which, you know, it, it's very interesting, never a dull moment. I joined my father in 02. I got licensed in the markets in 99, right out of college. And uh, was kind of at the kitchen table, you know, early on in life, watching my father do charts and, you know, drawing trend lines on charts, never realizing that I'd be following in his footsteps. But uh, like a great son, I, you know, always look up to my father and loved what he did and what he, you know, currently is doing today. So, yeah, I joined him in 02 and we really specialize in money flow analysis. And his curriculum vitae is really my curriculum vitae because it's really almost... You know, the only thing I've done in the financial markets is work with my father and my brothers and do money flow analysis. So it's, you know, a family business. There's only, you know, one, there's one way in, one way out. Uh, you, you know, you're married to the family. But the history is really interesting because I, I didn't know what I was getting into at the time. And growing up, you know, not really kind of oblivious to what my father was doing. But it was really cutting edge, as I find out later on in life. And, it got my CMT designation in 08 and actually read about my father and his former partner, Mark Chaikin, in what they did in history. And it's, you know, really, I've become a student of history as technical analysis. We learn about all the greats that have come before us. And we, as they say, I think Ralph Ancapora says, or many say, we stand on the shoulders of the great ones that have come before us. And that's really what I, I do. I use work that has been done before me and, and try to make it a little bit better if I can with technology. And so my, really the history of our family starts with my father. He came into the business in 1968 at Dean Witter. It kind of reminds me of the movie uh, with, uh, oh gosh, I, I already forget it, but it's, it's a great story. He basically had young kids and was trying to make a buck and loved the stock market. He joined Dean Witter and they had a, a a guy by the name of Dr. Levy had a software program called Compare, Computer Assisted Research. And it really was the beginning of, I would say, technical analysis back then, at least his first introduction to it. And Dr. Levy did a great white paper on relative strength. I think that really the primary 
working of relative strength. And Charles Kirkpatrick, who's well known in the CMT, was worked with Dr. Levy. And my father got this software. It really was a, a weekend delivery. And he it was a relative strength kind of moving average momentum model that my father used to, to do stock selection. And that really was his first introduction into using technical analysis. He was always looking for something that would give him an edge to identify stocks that would go up and make money. And so with that, he would study the markets and identify. He really used the, the utility sector, ended up being a great winner for him during his early part of his career. And then he went on to Wertheim and was doing some, you know, so he was an institutional sales guy, trying to work his way up to where the money was, you know, from the retail side to the institutional side and worked in the energy, you know, providing fundamental research on the energy side. And he overlaid the compare model with that. And then he had the opportunity to open Tucker Anthony in Philadelphia in the 80s. And they had the great guru at the time, or at least was one of them. It was Stan Burge. And Stan Burge is the most well-known, not well-known analyst out there, according to Walt Deemer. I, I tweeted Walt and he said, oh, I knew Stan. He was the most well-known, unknown person. But Stan Burge had a great, he was out of GE. He was, a, and he had a great, really the first macroeconomic, monetary and technical research product. And my father carried his suitcases for about 12 years and they provided, you know, his research to Provident National Bank, uh, Dr. Ellis, where some some greats have come from in technical analysis and just fundamental analysis. Really, uh, Stan Drunkenmiller came out of Dr. Ellis and Stan Burge's work. My father provided Stan's research to Dr. Ellis at Pittsburgh National Bank. So some great stories of the origination as before Stan went on to Soros. And just all these greats that have come before us that my father kind of crossed paths with. And then right before the 87 crash, he partnered up with Mark Chaikin. Now, Mark was the head of the options department at Tucker and then went on to Drexel. And my father was still at Tucker. And Mark introduced my father really to what he called money flow analysis. And it was via a software program. By the name of Bill Schmidt, he had a TigerSoft software. It was a, really one of the first computer systems out there. And my father got it on his desk in 1985. I'll never forget it. I was 10 years old, and I took the train in from Chestnut Hill, Philadelphia, by myself to check out this computer system. And uh, it was really cool. And uh, on there, he had TigerSoft, which Mark told him to get. And my father fell in love with it. I mean, they were paying a lot of money, I think, per stock to get a historical chart on it on one company. I think it was $1,000 just for one chart for about 10 years worth of data. And he tells a great story that his assistant at the time reformatted one of his disks and wiped out about 15, 20 stocks and by accident hit the wrong button and some of the crazy things that happened back in the day. That's a very different type of fat finger type of dynamic it really when you I do mean, it with data. It yeah. puts everything in perspective of where we are today. And it was really interesting. He loved it. And he said, you know, he was an institutional sales guy and, and he had all the accounts for Tucker, a lot of the great accounts in Philadelphia. And he said, you know what, we can put this computer system on every portfolio manager's desk and make it idiot proof. And, you know, we'll have all the F keys set preset so they can look at every chart. 
And that was the beginning of what they called Bomar. Bob and Mark, they created a, a, a software company. And Mark was genius and still is to this day. And my father, you know, it was lightning strike between my father and Mark. My father had the accounts and the sales side and Mark had the technical side and the, you know, the really the knowledge, the great knowledge. And the two created, you know, greatness together. And Mark had two wonderful boys, two sons. I only know via secondhand story, but they were at Brown and cognitive science majors. And so timing and, you know, as they say, luck is, you know, when preparation meets opportunity, they were prepared and they had opportunity. They really, they got lucky in right place, right time. And Mark's kids were writing code and they became one of the first hundred beta sites of Microsoft Windows because they were cognitive science and Brown. And they write, wrote the code and it just, everything came together. And then Mark was obviously, you know, a great businessman looking for, you know, who's, what, what could they do with this? And they'd be, you know, we came across Instanet and which was a Reuters company at the time. And they needed a front end because Mark and dad, they created the first window based dynamically update live computer system. It was the first live financial industry. You know, they even sat down, Mark sat down with Mike Bloomberg as well, but they were hardwired, so they didn't want software because software is riddled with, you know, viruses. But it it was really interesting because they were way ahead of their time and, you know, timing and positioning. And then, you know, Instant bought my father and Mark's company as their front end to their software known as the Instant RNA system. And that was the history of Mark has gone on and done greatness since then coming out of retirement, creating chicken analytics. But I always think of, you know, I'm connected to the original greatness that Mark and my dad had. And um, it's it's kind of what I've inherited is the knowledge of really money flow and, and analyzing the stock market via technical analysis, you know, being a second generation technician, you know, just being, you know, privileged in that sense of where I'm, you know, being born to my father. And it's fascinating. I've become a great historian and practitioner of technical analysis. I love it. It's, you know, as my father says, there's no dull, not a dull moment in the stock market. We wake up every day, roll out of bed, excited to find out what's going to happen today, you know. And money flow is really what my father fell in love with, what Mark introduced him to. And it's because it's simple and easy to understand. It's logical and intuitive, all meaning the same thing. And it's work done by, you know, many people in the 80s were working on this I don't think there was, you know, it's hard to say who created what. They were all working on derivatives. They all, you know, Joseph Granville really was the beginning of it. He started it all. And great stories about Joseph Granville in Atlantic City walking on water. He came out as Moses with the tablet of the Ten Commandments. And he played the piano and he played bagholder blues. And there's just some great stories you hear about things that happened in the 60s and 70s in the, you know, in yeah. the beginning of the whole technical analysis movement, it was still done behind closed doors. And um, but now it's out in the open and known as to be blended with fundamentals. A perfect analyst is both fundamental and technical, you know, encompassing everything holistically. And uh, so Joe really started it. He started a revolution and he had groupies to follow him around, you know. And then I found it, it. Mark talks about all the history, but. David Bastian was one that's fallen through the cracks of history. Well, I have a, a fax from, you know, back in the late 90s that my father had in his, his old 1968 Dean Witter book. 
of the intensity index by David Boston. And he really kind of was the, the creator of a lot of the accumulation distribution where he, I believe, was the creator of the accumulation distribution line. And Mark it made tweaks to it. And a guy by the name of Bill Schmidt made tweaks to it. And Larry Williams made tweaks to it. And Don Warden, who's did a great article for this for the CMT back in 2014 before he passed on, God rest his soul. His son, Chris Warden, runs a great software system, the TC2000, which is really awesome. And Don did some work with MoneyStream, which is similar to what Williams was doing, and, and Schmidt and Chain and Boston. And they're all, you know, in the 80s trying to find an edge, creating, tweaking. And the theory really is looking at closing strength is really the simple analysis of the accumulation distribution. It's where are stocks closing every day? As a lot of technicians always say, you know, the closing price is what pays. And, you know, the closing price is the only financial, you know, data point that's not revised. You know, all these sayings that, that are true, I, I assume. And But it's we're measuring closing strength. And my father, Mark, used to call it smart money. And uh, they put the system on Fidelity's desk and all the other, all the desks, all the great institutionals, you know, Steinhardt and Tudor and, uh, you know, Cohen and, uh, you know, Cooperman, all the, all the great guys out there had the incident system on their desk. And uh, we're following, you know, trying to learn technicals. And money flow is really kind of, it, it's really looking under the hood of price, accumulation, distribution and closing strength. And the old adage, you know, you know, smart money's in the morning, dumb money's in the after, in the closing. You know, they say you know, the last half hour or the last hour is the smart, you know, most important hour of the day. And it's really because that's when we find out what the closing price is. There's a lot of things you said I want to just kind of branch off of before we get. We'll be back after a quick break. Hello, listeners. Michael Gayet here from Lead Lag Live. Are you ready to take a deep dive into market trends, risk management, and investment strategies? then you need the Lead Lag Report. Our in-depth analysis helps you understand the financial markets like never before. And guess what? We're giving you a chance to experience it at a discounted rate. Visit theleadlag.report slash leadlaglive and get an exclusive 30% off on your subscription. Don't miss out. Level up your investment game with the Lead Lag Report. And now, back to our discussion. Too deep into the money flow side. First of all, you and I have some parallels. So, like you, my father was in the business. He had worked actually, my father, on Bob Farrell's team. You mentioned Stan Druckenmiller. Stan Druckenmiller was actually a client of my father when he had a hedge fund in 2000 to 2005 or so. So, I know a lot about the word you use, which is legacy, when it comes to a family business. Now, my father passed away in 08. And yeah, I tend to. Uh, I think with hindsight, I assimilate a lot of the views of my father and my work, but I think forged my own path, much more rules-based, quant-driven, back-tested as opposed to you know, the way kind of my father would look at markets using more traditional classic technical analysis. I'm curious for you, just given the family history, how do you differentiate from what's in the blood right, in terms of the way that you look at markets? Because presumably, you've got your own different ways of analyzing than than your father or other parts of other members of the family? Wow, that's a powerful question. And I I wanted to ask you about your father because I remember the first time I, I followed your blog, you showed a video and I believe it was your father and you showed it again yesterday, teaching a class. And I, I was always fascinated by it. So thank you for enlightening me on your history. And it's really, it is, it is amazing. Legacy and family is amazing. 
Yeah, I mean, we're all different. We all have different ways of, we're all different people and we have different views and different ways we look at things. My father is old school. He comes from a lot of bear markets as we all do now. You know, my father would always say, I've been through a lot of bear markets. And now after doing this for 20 years, I'm like, well, I've been through as many bear markets as you, dad. You know, you've only been through one more, (laughs) you know, it's, but it's his, he loves momentum. He's a momentum investor. He buys high, sells higher as great traders have proven to be wonderful methodology. And there's a lot of ways to do this. There's, I always say there's really, well, a lot of ways I say, I break it down into two buckets. There's buy high, sell higher, and there's buy low, sell high. And, you know, the buy high, sell higher is really the momentum growth strategy of, you know, buying what works, you know, buy 52-week highs. Why are they 52-week highs? Because they're perceived by the market to have good fundamentals, be good companies and making money. So let's do what's working today. And that's my father's methodology. And it's proven from a trading perspective. He's been running a model portfolio of for for decades and has proven that to be a great strategy and many quants and many technicians ever since have proven that momentum and I've learned early on that momentum is a great strategy one of the best investment strategies there is is momentum and a lot of people say it's because the market goes up most of the time and uh, which is true and but I my personality I I like to buy low sell high I like to buy stocks that have been beating beaten up that are quite honestly making relative 52-week lows. And my father would never touch such a stock, ever. It's heresy. And he and to this today, I tried, tried, tried for 20 years to get him to do that. And he's so, he's a left-handed Irishman, red-headed Irish. He's so disciplined, very headstrong, very strong. He's, this, he's in his way, he's stuck in his ways as we all are to an extent. But it's, it works. So I'm not there to change him. But my methodology is more to look at what's been underperforming and what's going to start maybe being the next great outperformer. And what's interesting about money flow is that it's not perfectly correlated with price. Accumulation distribution is the primary I- indicator created by Boston. And we track that, that first derivative, that indicator. And what's great about it is it's, it doesn't take into account net price change from day to day, like a typical rate of change or momentum indicator. It looks at a closing stock, where a stock closes or an instrument closes every day in a bell jar. So you can have a stock go down from yesterday to today, but close today at the high of the day, still down from yesterday. And, and because it's 100% above the midpoint, we're going to record 100% positive money flow for the day even though it's down from yesterday. So, and the opposite, you can have a stock, you know, up from the day before, but close at the bottom end of the range, go out at the low of the day, still above yesterday's close. And we're going to record that as negative money flow. So money flow is kind of special because it looks at closing strength. And so I, we use money flow. I, my father loves positive money flow, positive relative performance. We use relative performance, relative strength, like everyone else. You know, Jesse Livermore was using it. Everybody was using it. You know, buy stocks that are going up faster than the market. You know, sell stocks that are going down faster than the market. Or sell stocks that are not going up as much as the market. So relative strength, relative performance is extremely important as part of our process. As every technician uses it, we don't want to live in a vacuum. 
However, our little edge is would, probably not little anymore now that I'm publicizing, but everybody kind of knows this. It's very interesting. Is that money flow is, as I said, not perfectly correlated with price. So we can have positive money flow on stocks that are at 52-week lows on a relative performance basis. And, it, and I love that because it's telling me a stock is underperforming or going down in absolute price, but it's closing strong. And that tells me that shorts, are, you know, the targets are being met on the short side, profits are being taken on the short side, and new longs are being made on the long side by value buyers. And we work with a lot of value buyers and we work with growth buyers. So we work with, you know, investors who want to buy high, sell higher, and investors who want to buy low, sell high. So it's really, I love that because money flow can be applied to, to both strategies and really which brings about diversification. I mean, diversification really is using non-correlated assets, using non-correlated indicators is diversification. And so money flow is great because we can, we can diversify using that. And I found most recently, we, we use Portfolio123 as a great software system. I've been out there for probably about 10, 15 years, introduced to me by Mark. Mark has really taught me. He's been a great mentor over the years. And so I use that as a you know backtesting engine. It's really a great software to connect into FactSet and S&P Globe. So they have no survivorship bias in their, in their software. And it's, it's got every fundamental and technical indicator in it. And we build our money flows into it with different derivatives and found that really, and doing backtesting, because, you know, back in the day, backtesting, when I first joined with my dad, it was like, do you have any backtesting? Well, you really need a lot of money to do backtesting because it was really time intensive and to this day and age, there's software right off the shelf that you can use. I'm sure there's others that I don't even, many that I don't even know about. I will say real quick about the current environment. So yes, it's easier to backtest, but I don't find that many people, at least on FinTwit, on Twitter, even advisors, individuals you know, outside of social media, I don't find many people do it, even though the accessibility with which people can actually see if what they're saying has predictive power has never been as prevalent, right? I'm always amazed how people can test their theories, but never seem to want to. Yeah, I, I think it's the old adage, you're afraid to find out the truth. <laughs> you know, you, you may not want to know that it doesn't work. But I remember, I forget who it was that said it, and it was a great investor, said that he actually, this investor really enjoyed using indicators that didn't backtest well, because people just dis, disregarded them. And so they threw them to the side, when actually there was periods of times when those bad indicators actually worked really well. So, you know, backtesting, as we all know, is full of biases and all sorts of stuff. So it just gives you a general perspective of what to, what, you know, what maybe to expect. And what I found recently in, in our testing of money flow with relative performance is we, it's a momentum model. So money flow is price-based, relative is price-based. And if you, ha- and if both are in agreement, you have really strong momentum. And then if money flow is positive and relative performance is negative, you have value. And so in a real strong momentum, you know, momentum, every kind of momentum is similar. You know, it it falls under that momentum bucket. And momentum typically works in trending markets. It usually works when you have a a prevailing trend. You know, the market's above the 200-day, the market's above the 50-day, market's above the 20-day. You know, you really got a good bull market or bear market. And that's when momentum seems to work historically. Not always. There's no panacea here. But generally speaking, and then we have our value model where we use money flow with negative relative performance. 
And that, and in history, I found that that typically works in non-trending markets. In you know, when you go into a 52-week low, usually coming out of a 52-week low, the value will work. That is, you know, the old adage, you know, you know, it's a crap rally. You got to buy the crap. You know, and everybody always says that, and that is always what they say coming off a of bottom because everything's negative. You know, when you go into a major bottom, you've got 10% of the market above the 200-day. You've got 90% of the market below the 200-day. They're all beat up. Even, you know, the greatest fundamental companies are usually get taken down as well. So they, they call it, you know, everybody's got to buy junk, buy the junk rally. And in that money flow, we can pick up accumulation on stocks that have been underperforming. And for us, there was an old adage, Mark, my father used to say, smart money, and then I would always, and I said, you know, money flow is really identifying fundamentals is what my father taught me. And after they sold the firm, my father used, he ran a market neutral hedge fund for a year with his own money. And then he got cold feet because his partner left. So he went back to research. And, but during that period of time, he ran a, a market neutral hedge fund using Zach's earnings revision, earnings surprise model blended with money flow. And the theory was that, you know, earnings revision, earnings surprise would be the fundamentals. Money flow would be the momentum, and but really what he was doing, looking back on it, and I've tested that strategy ever since, is that both were identifying fundamentals. Money flow, what my father found was that money flow, typically stocks that have positive money flow, closing strong day after day, persistency of money flow, which was one of my father's discoveries, which is a trending of money flow versus a moving average. He found that stocks that are persistently closing strong they were closing strong for a reason. They had good fundamentals. And they typically went on and had positive earnings revision, earnings surprise. And so my father found that, and this is in eight, you know, 93, 94, it was a sideways market. I told my father, if he kept the hedge fund open for one more year, we'd be living on a yacht. But he had to close it, right? 94 was a tough year. 94, 95 was a tough year. And so, but he found that money flow actually predicted earnings revision, earnings surprise. And stocks that were well-bid, they're well-bid for a reason because they're good fundamental companies. They typically had positive earnings revision, earnings surprise. So money flow for us, really, we use it to identify a good fundamental company. And then we use relative performance to identify a good stock. You know, the old adage, there's a good company and a good stock. Money flow for us helps us identify a good company, generally speaking, because we don't know We don't know everything. And then relative performance identifies a good stock. And so that's really the bottom up. We do bottom up analysis. We have a software program. We teamed up with eSignal about 10 years ago, which is owned by ICE. And we build our analytics into that software, ranking and screening every stock in the whole world based upon money flow and relative performance ranking and help our clients. We work with about 60 institutional clients and help them identify where the accumulation pattern is in the equity markets around the world. And then my father discovered in the year 2000, the breadth of money flow. He called the top in February 2000, it's a great story, when I joined him. He got up on a dais at Emerald Asset Management, a friend of his, Joe Bessiger, the small cap growth fund out of PA. In year 2000, he had all the technology companies there. And Warren Musser and Bob Musser, who were the head of Safeguard Scientific, which is a mini CMGI at the time. And it had all the technology guys, you know, they're all, you know, I think Bob and Warren Muscle were billionaires at the time. And they had all the technology companies in the, in, you know, at the presentation. And my father got up there with the, you know, the projector, the glass, you know, the overhead projector. 
And he told Joe, he said, Joe, you don't want me to get up there. I said, he said, there's going to be, I got no positive money flows on anything. You don't want me up there. And he said, Bob, get up there. We're going to show there's a wall between research and, and, you know, and our investment decisions. And so he got up there and he literally thought they were going to throw fruit at him because he had nothing but negative things to say about the market. February of 2000 market went on then and peaked soon thereafter and, and had a major decline. And that was, a, in my eyes, when I joined him in 02, was the greatest story ever told uh, or never told. And so and from that came the breath of money flow. He was measuring the percentage of stocks in the NASDAQ that had positive money flow. And so I said, well, we got to make this indicator, Dad. He goes, all right, do whatever you want, you know. And so I, I took it under my wing to create this, and I did it by hand for many years. And then built it, AIQ was an old system that we used that, we built it into, and then, you know, years thereafter, many systems we've created it in. Most recently, the TC2000 is a great system for creating breath indicators. And so that really has been what I we use now as a macro timing. A lot like the percentage of stocks above the 200-day moving average or even the bullish percent index, you know, by Dorsey Wright, which is very similar to percentage of stocks above 40-day. All of these, you know, are breath measurements to see how many Stocks are in a positive trend or negative trend. And then so we do that with money flow. And what it ends up being is it's not perfectly correlated with price. So like what we've seen since July last year, we've had a huge amount of closing strength in this equity market since July of last year. And we had the great July run last year with a Zweig thrust. And and then we had a great run in January with another Zweig thrust. And closing strength has been very strong. And on the high beta index today, we have about 80 I'll tell you right now as I'm running it, 81% of the high beta index with positive money flows, 65% of the high beta index versus low volatility with positive relative performance above the 200 day. So there's been a, still a, a really tremendous amount of accumulation since the July, the June-July lows of last year, which turned our model, we run a macro model, really risk on risk off model, cyclical, non-cyclical model based upon the money flow breadth, which is liquidity. We're measuring liquidity. Stocks closing strong means money's flowing into the market. Stocks closing weak means money's flowing out of the market. And I did a presentation at the CMT conference in 2019 about this. And, and really, liquidity is the key. So we measure you know, all the market caps from mega cap, large cap, mid cap, small cap. And as you go down the market cap, as you would expect, the volatility picks up because the liquidity diminishes. And the, you know, the spread between the bid and the ask gets wider. So we concentrate our efforts on the deep end of the pool where the liquidity lies within the Dow, the OEX 100, even the S&P 500, and, and keep a finger on the pulse of the market uh, to see, is a major, are the majority of stocks in the market closing strong? Yeah, they may not be going up or going down, but are they closing strong? And that tells us that at least there's a bid to the market. But, but hold on, but hold on, on that point, that goes directly to breadth. We're talking about closing strong versus closing. Yes. Yeah, it's, I, I just put out that tweet you know, as we were chatting, just noting that you know retailers, for example, XRT as ETF proxy, which as I recall is equal weight, is at new lows for the year. And a lot of small caps keep on you know, having these kind of fits and starts, but the underperformance is very real against large caps. You had mentioned that you know your style is much more – you know, buying lows, there's been interesting money out of defensive sectors like utilities and staples the last couple of weeks. But it's one of those things where 
We'll be back after a quick break. Foodies unite with How You Dish. It's social media with a secret sauce. Food, the world's first network for food enthusiasts. How You Dish connects foodies across the world. Share kitchen tips and recipe hacks. Discover hidden gem food joints and street food. Find foodies like you. Connect, chat, and organize meetups. How You Dish makes it simple to connect through food anywhere in the world. So, how do you dish? Download How You Dish on the Apple App Store now. I'd argue to confuse market, but maybe one that's still set up for some high risk purely from the standpoint that it looks like there's defensive capitulation at the same time that small caps may want to break their lows at the same time that consumer stocks are pretty weak. So when you think about it from a, a money flow perspective from a short term basis, how do you ter- interpret what's happening, you know, enter this entering the summer period here? Because uh, I think a lot of people are arguing we are still in a melt up. A lot of things are not, I would argue, going to historical script, especially in a pre-election year. Yeah, and you're absolutely correct in all your observations. I mean, so our model turned positive in July of last year when, when I mean, it was nasty. And, and our models had a great track record. We nailed, we went bearish before COVID. Uh, we went bearish last year in, in, you know, November, December of 2021. So, you know, out of the past three years, we've got two out of three calls you know, absolutely. The model has gotten them correct. So, but, but it was incorrect in 2021. So, you know, there's no panacea in what we do. We don't know the future, but it just gives us a pulse as to what's going on. And most recently, so our model has been bullish since July of last year. So we're 10 months bullish now owning cyclicals. And when I'm bullish, I want to own high beta economically sensitive. And I classify simply as a basket of sickles, which is the six sectors, I call them, which are financials, industrials, materials, energy, discretionary technology, equally weighted. We equal weight everything because I, I can't cherry pick. I don't know. I'm not going to try because I'll get it wrong. So I just buy generally everything that's typically high beta economically sensitive. And, you know, so I love small caps, mid caps, you know, international emerging, whatever has a high beta I love when I'm bullish. And then when the model goes bearish, which happens over the past 23 years, once every 12 months. I mean, we've had nothing but crisis every 12 months for the past 10 plus 15 years. Every 12 months, there's a crisis. So the model, you know, only stays positive for about 12 months on average. The past two years, it's been 200% turnover. So the volatility has been greater over the past two years on our model because We've been in a you know, hundred-year pandemic. I mean, like the model, the market's been in a bit of a heart attack, but we've still been able to be two out of three calls in the past three years have been on the right side of the market, which has been good. Now that you, well, let's address what you're saying now. So uh, I am for the first time picking up negative divergence on our money flow breath, and it's mild divergence. And there's the old saying that all tops have divergences, but not all divergences call tops. Well, that is true of our money flows because we're price-based. We're a momentum indicator. So we are a cousin of price. Money flow is a cousin of price. So yeah, we've got divergence right now. So I'm concerned, but our model hasn't gone negative. So I'm watching it. And you know, we the bear camp could play out here. I'm just, we haven't gotten the signal yet to go defensive, simply stated. And do you factor in any kind of cycle work in terms of, you know, where we are seasonality wise or in the presidential cycle. Again, I go back to this, there's some dynamics which are odd here and I'm with you. It doesn't seem like it's a very sudden type of abrupt stop, right? But 
a lot of the stuff I would say, that I'm seeing would suggest that we've already kind of been in a correction, just not one that you can easily identify looking at the at the large cap averages. Yeah, I, we just follow the money flows. I don't get into all the other different disciplines. Follow the relative performance, you know, and really just key off money flows because there's it's the only thing that I can really understand and um, that I have tested and what our really our specialty is in the marketplace. In history, our model turns bare, you know, turns gears once a year. So we're 10 months into being bullish. So we are getting a little long in the tooth from a historical basis of our model. And so that's kind of important because nothing lasts forever. And this too will change. You know, we've been bullish since July, and it kind of reminds me of the cousin, you know, cousin Vinny market where you know he's stuck in the mud spinning his tires. I kind of feel like this, we could, I'm looking for, you know, a positive outcome here and a blow off. And I, because I'm bullish and I'm talking my book and I'm looking for the best for that. But at the end of the day, you know, if the money flows go negative, we're going to, we're going to change our position. And one of my thoughts is that, you know, all this accumulation that we've seen since July and last year could lead to a quick blow off short covering rally that pushes the market back to prior highs, which is not too far away. It's just about 8% or so on the high beta index. You know, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's, you know, 12% on the S&P 500, but I mean, it's really not that far on the mega cap markets. So, you know, maybe there's that. And then into that blow off, I pick up continued negative money flow and the money flows go negative as the market blows off. That's kind of what I'm thinking because money flow breath typically goes negative before the market breaks. It's a lead, It's typically a lead indicator. And that's why my father's always loved it, Mark, and everybody's always loved money flow because it typically is non-confirming. It, it'll give you a divergence. It'll go negative before price does, or it'll go positive before price does. And so, in the, and then when you look at the breadth and you look at the group as a whole, from an equal weighted perspective, it behaves like that as well. So, you know, we've nailed every top in, in the past 20 years because Money flow typically goes negative before the market does. And, and one of the great attributes of our model is reducing risk. Is risk, you know, technical analysis has been proven by many that the great attributes of technical analysis is risk management. It avoids excessive drawdown. And that's why technical analysis has been so absorbed by the marketplace over the past 10, 15 years. Because we've had so many drawdown events. I mean, just in the past five years, we've had two, you know, three twenty percent corrections, and the frequency of that is, you know, once you typically have a twenty percent correction every, I don't know, ten years or something. So the fact that we've had three in the past five, you know, volatility is very difficult, and so technical analysis is good to help avoid excessive drawdown. And our money flows do just that. They help. They're not perfect, but they're right more than they're wrong. And so I'm getting a little divergence in here, which says, okay, th there's some profit taking, but maybe we get one last blow off and the money flows stay negative. And then we go, you know, the model goes negative. That would be best case scenario. Otherwise, it all just goes negative together. You know, money flows can be coincident at times with price if it's powerful enough. So it'll be interesting. Uh, you know, I, I publish a daily market letter every day talking about the money flow breath on the markets. And we, we do that for our clients every day. I run a video blog and we have a software program we put on our clients' desks to help them. We teach our clients how to be technical analysts. 
you know, the old adage, give a man a fish, he eats for a day or teach him to fish and he eats for a lifetime. And that's, we're consultants. That's what we do. We teach, you know, professional money managers about money flow analysis and, you know, help incorporate that into their mosaic of information. Yeah, which is, which I give you a lot of credit for. It's not easy to do that, especially in a sort of a net, more niche type of way of looking at markets. What are some of the typical lag times? So once money flow starts changing, I understand the coincident point, but you know, when it is leading, is there a typical time frame of lag, meaning is it a month, three months, six months, or does it's, it vary really across the board? Yeah, it's usually with, you know, it could be as short as a month, but it usually gives us a couple of weeks to a month to a couple of months. It gives us enough time to get out. I mean, that that's really, and, it, and you know, if, for instance, you know, last year or 2021, it went bearish in December of 21. The market didn't break until February. So, and then even with the COVID crash, which was very interesting, our model went bearish again in December, January, and the COVID crash didn't come until February, at the end of February. So, you know, we just, we move when it tells us to move and uh, we don't know if we're right or wrong, you know, we just follow a very disciplined approach. I'm a redheaded Irishman, so I'm very emotional and crazy and, you know, loud. And, and so I'm like the opposite of the personality that you would use for investing. And that's why, and my father, the same thing. And that's why I think he loved technical analysis, because it was able to, we were able to create a systematic, repeatable process that took the human out of it, made it extremely objective. And that's what we do. We just follow the money flows and, and run a disciplined model and do what it tells us to do. And we found in history that it's, you know, more right than wrong. And the best, the greatest attribute of what we do is really not losing the money. I mean, over the past 20 years, our sickle, non-sickle model has tripled the performance of the S&P with half the drawdown. And it's in half the drawdown where we get a lot of our alpha. It's like, you know, Warren Buffett always said, you know, rule number one, don't lose the money. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. That's what we really, our model and technical analysis in general, that's like the basis of what we do. You know, don't lose the money. And there's always time to make hay. The sun will always shine again. It's just when it's rainy out there, let's be careful. Right now, everything's okay, but it's getting a little long in the tooth is what it really looks like. I'd love to see it break out to the upside and defy all the naysayers because that's just how I'm positioned right now. But I know that, you know, anything can happen. So we're, we don't get dogmatic and stuck into a perspective. We let the model tell us what to do. Do you find that for those clients that see your work when it's changing, right, that would suggest you're either at a low or a high and that you're about to reverse, do you find that some of those clients give pushback even though they trust your work and analysis? I say that only because I've experienced that myself when it comes to subscribers. I've talked to David Rosenberg, who's made that observation before that, you know, if you start loudly going against the current narrative, you can be more confident that you're probably right when those that are actually paying for your work are going out of their way to to counter your conclusion. It's amazing. I was a psychology major in college. My mother was a clinical psychologist, father, a technical analyst. My brother's got his master's in clinical psychology as a behavioral finance uh, at PNC. And it's it, yeah, psychology is a big part of this. And it's hard, you know, everybody has an opinion. Every one of our clients ha are trained professionals. They have, you know, formulated models that they've created throughout their career. 
and that they run vigorously. And, you know, it's really, to, it, as my father would say, somebody has to be with you for a couple cycles to see you and how your calls are before they'll believe you. And it's really, you know, almost even then they may not believe you. So we just do what we do. We're just another data point in the mosaic of our clients' models. And really, we fall under that sentiment, you know, factor within our clients' models. More now today is wonderful is because of computer systems of what Mark and dad did in creating the first window-based live dynamically updating system and, you know, sold to Reuters in 92, you know, 30, 30 plus years ago. Now, computer system, you know, charts and technical analysis are ubiquitous across everybody's everybody's computer and iPhone and watch, for God's sakes. So technical analysis has become more mainstream, which is wonderful. And so it's, it, you know, my dad, the old stories of dad and Mark, they would say, you know, and all the great ones before us that, you know, tech, you know, they close the door and then they pull out the chart book from literally the top drawer. That was just an absolute truism. Today, technical analysis is embraced as a risk management strategy across all disciplines. And it's wonderful. And for that matter, it's made my job a lot easier. People, you know, when I first started with my dad, you know, we'd be all you just cold call. We're the old fashioned cold callers. And they'd be like, oh, you're just a momentum model. Oh, you're a technical analysis. Click. You know, <laughs> okay. This is a hell of a business you got us into, Dad. You know, they won't take our call. But today they take our call, which is great. And um, it, it makes it a little bit easier. And, uh, you know, maybe it's self fulfilling. You know, the old self fulfilling prophecy where everybody's doing this, you know, gets the whisper down the lane. And that may be true. But, it, you know, more information is the key. The more information you have, the better you are informed to make a good decision. And we're just here to add as much information to our clients that, as we can. They're the smartest people in the world. I mean, every one of our clients are geniuses, a lot smarter than me. That's for damn sure. So, and I listen to my clients too. My clients say something I'm like, okay, well, maybe I should, maybe I'll, you know, rethink this. But uh, yeah, I mean, we can't change our clients. We just add information to them and help them in any way we can. I find a lot of times, you know, they just do what they feel is right. And for, you know, compliance purposes, and they don't tell me anything. So clients really, for, you know, they're not allowed to disclose and they rarely do really disclose what they're doing, you know, for their own, you know, purposes. They keep everything very secretive. Yeah. And I also find that like, you know, people may agree or disagree, but the question is, will they actually act on anything? You know, that's always on them, as you know, right? It's, um, so I find a lot of people will say things, but, you know, actions just don't follow through no matter what they're saying or expressing because, you know, it's a lot easier to talk than to trade, which I think is the case across the board. For those that um, are in the audience that are curious about taking a deeper dive in your research, where do people find some of your work, Terrence, and what are some of the suggestions you have for those that want to learn more about money flow? Yeah, I mean, our homepage at Brogan Group Research is a great place to find us, and they can email me at tbrogan at Wellington Shields anytime. And, you know, put you on distribution for a trial for our research. And we provide our research to everybody the same. It's just, you know, based on, you know, how big they are, how small they are, everybody gets the same research. And yeah, we just, you know, we we just have a different way of looking at things. And, you know, it's not perfect. There's no panacea, but it's right more than it's wrong. And it's just, we love it. We're huge fans of money flow analysis. And it's kind of a truth telling 
It looks inside price because we all know what price is doing. It's just, do we really know? Is, is price maybe going up, but is it closing strong? That old closing strong method is a very important perspective to the markets. And you know, it's very similar to the you know, open interest. They would, you know, open interest is high as if they're keeping, you know, holding overnight positions. And if they're holding overnight positions, then they're positive that, you know, it's not going to blow up tomorrow. It's kind of a similar perspective when looking at money flows within the marketplace. So we're positive for now. We're hoping good things to come. I hope the divergence that I'm seeing right now gets broken out of. But, uh, you know, this too may change. We're going to keep a close eye on it. It's a good place to wrap this Twitter space up. Everybody, please make sure you follow Terrence Brogan. Uh, Thank you, Terrence. Appreciate it. Yes, Michael. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on X, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube, and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets.